0: we would be honored if you would join what's going down star wars fam i hope you are having a great day now it's been a couple of weeks since the mandalorian came out So we have all had a little bit of time to craft an opinion. And I would like to know what you guys think. Do you guys like it or not? And do you think it will have a future? Do you think that they'll come out with season 2, season 3 from what you've already seen? I just want to know. So email me at sway.audio at gmail.com and let me know. The action scenes have been phenomenal and it's very exciting. So I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. But until I get more information about some of the characters and the plot, I haven't decided yet. But time will tell. Now, enough about all that. Let's get back to the book and all the wonderful Star Wars we can get right now.
1: Ashlaw, Bogan, they're just moons. My own destiny lies elsewhere, and it has such gravity. Daily and Brock, Diaries, 10,661 TYA, your Arrival. Lannery wakes from a dream of home in which she is dreaming of the stars, and Dale is sitting beside her. He is bathed in firelight, but most of his face is in shadow. Still, she can read him from his stance and his stillness. He is staring at her with a terrifying coldness. What? Is there something? But she knows there is no threat from outside. They are a day away from cash camped beneath a copse of heartberry trees. They have eaten several berries each, and Lannery's stomach is warm and comfortably full, the berries' goodness thrumming through her. There is wildlife in these foothills that might mean them harm acid spiders, and rumors of a family of flame tigers that cross the moon islands, but she would sense if any of them came close. She would know. I am the chasm, Dale says. His voice is lower than before, deeper, as if echoing from somewhere deep. What do you mean? She sounds like a scared little girl. She is scared. Dale shifts, turning toward the fire so that its light reveals his face. He is still her brother, but... He looks older than before wiser as if she is seeing a dale who has already completed his great journey i have depths waiting to be filled places you can never see and go because you're jedi and my depths are my own not steered by something else the Force doesn't steer me dale he snorts she is even more scared she went to sleep still knowing who her brother was but now what happened she asks I am the chasm. I have depths to explore and fill. Depth implies mystery and fullness, but in you I sense only void. Your force tells you that, he says, almost spitting the words, and you believe it. No, I know that because of my love for you as a brother. For the briefest instant, a look of regret seems to cross his face, but perhaps it is merely a flame from the fire, casting a sympathetic shadow. My own great journey ends soon, he says, after I've taken everything I can from Typhon, bled it of everything that can be of use. I'll be leaving. Don't get in my way. At dusk the next day, they approach Kesh. Lannery has heard many stories about this place, but nothing can prepare her for the reality. The temple itself is an incredible structure, graceful and brooding, huge and yet insectile in its shape and proportions. An engineering marvel that surpasses any other on Tython. It's Thoyor floats about it, sometimes close, sometimes farther away. It's believed that it drifts with the Force. Beneath the temple, the chasm. One of the most amazing places on Tython, and also one of the most enigmatic and dangerous. The chasm is a seemingly bottomless pit within which force storms rage and mystery resides. No Jedi has ever gone deep enough to find the chasm's bottom or if they have, they have never returned. The stronger one is with the Force, the greater the chasm's detrimental influence, disorientation, pain, and eventually death. Many have tried. Some have died, and some have gone so deep that they returned insane, deluded. Suicide is common among those who ignore all warnings and their own better judgment to try. One of Anilkesh's main aims is to plumb the depths of the chasm, because it is Tython, and the Force, at its most mysterious. Lannery has seen hollows of Temple Master Quan Jang discussing the chasm, and even through these, she can sense his awe and fascination. The Jedi, he says, will find the bottom one day. It's what might exist there that possesses them to keep trying. I am the chasm, Dale said. Standing close to Anilkesh now... Lannery expects him to be staring at this strange wound in the land, but he seems untouched and unconcerned. Unlike him, she can feel the draw of the chasm and its incredible primeval power. The forces is in turmoil within her. She feels sick. To manage that sickness she knows will be one of her first lessons at Onil Kesh. This is not the final destination of their great journey. But Lannery cannot help feeling the sense of an ending hanging over them both.
0: So I want to stop right here because I think what is being said by Lannery and Dale is important to the story. Dale says he is the chasm. So what is the chasm? Well, from listening to the story, the chasm is a place that's at the next Jedi temple that they're going to visit. Then he states that he will take all that he can from Tython and then he's leaving. Basically, he'll do whatever it takes to find the answers to his question. Where do they come from? Lannery is hurt by this because she knows her brother is truly gone. The little boy that she grew up with, that she loves so much, he is no more. Bye-bye. Peace. But like any big sister, she is holding on to the hope that he will come back to the Force and to the good side. Now, the way that Lannery describes the chasm at the Jedi Temple, she states that no one has ever reached the bottom. It's bottomless. Nobody's ever got to the bottom. But the thing that puzzles me is she says that there's force storm. What the heck are force storms? She says that the stronger you are with the force, the more the chasm will affect you. She also says that people that have traveled into the chasm either disappear forever or lose their minds. It makes me think of the cave. You know the one that Yoda sends Luke into in the Empire Strikes Back? The cave is described by Yoda to be powerful in the dark side of the force. This was because a dark side Jedi had died there. According to Wikipedia, a Jedi named mitch battled and killed a powerful dark side Jedi at this location. Now I'm going to butcher this name, like bad, because I don't even know how to pronounce this. Bafashi, Bafashi, but I can't even I can't even say it. Let me just spell it out. It's B-P-F-A-S-S-H-I. You try to say it. I, I don't, that, that's not even a name. That's not even a word to me. There's not enough valves in it. It just, it doesn't make sense. But he was some leader of some dark side Jedi group. And when he died, his energy was absorbed by the surrounding area and it tainted the passage with a dark side spirit. So I'm wondering if a great disturbance in the force is what created the castle. So this might have caused these forest storms. I remember an episode of the Clone Wars where Anakin and obi go to this planet and they meet the overlords, a family of powerful force wielders the father was like the balance of the forest the son was the dark side of the forest and the daughter was the light side but the whole planet was a conduit of the force the dark side was like storms and destruction and the light side gave life this was another place in star wars where Force storms are talked about it is also brought up in some comics and some video games but let's get back to the book and find out what else happens
1: Greenwood Station was a city that never slept. The sun had set, and the dome was now illuminated by hundreds of huge lights suspended beneath the massive support ribs. They were a poor substitute for the sun, but Lannery supposed this was their night. Shifts were changing. The air was filled with the smells of industry and cooking and sewage. And she and Tree were once again approaching Max Hoggins' imported water stall. She saw him from a distance, closing broken shutters across his tables and instructing several helpers on where to store those bottles not yet sold. He waved away a couple of late customers with an apologetic smile then saw Lannery. His smile remained, but it was no longer soft. Lannery did not break her stride, but she did feel comfort from the force flowing through her muscles tensed, her sword sang with power, and her senses, always alert, became attuned to danger. Max Hagen was her focus, but if he meant her harm, then he would desire that focus. Any attack would come from those around him. Tree sauna, Max Hagen called. Lannery, so good to see you both again. Tree glanced around nervously to see if anyone else had heard his name, and Lannery could not help smiling. She wondered how many enemies the Twillick had made over the years. I'm surprised you'd close up shop, Lannery said. Only for a while. People travel to work now, intent on their journey, or others go home, or to the taverns, where water isn't their prime concern. Also, I find that information is at its driest at this time of day. I expect you. Filling and resealing the bottles, too, eh? Tree asked. Max Hagen looked genuinely hurt. You doubt my product? Tree didn't answer. Other water merchants come and go they fill bottles from poison springs in the caves below greenwood station drop in a few purifying tablets seal them up sell them as pure none of them last long that's why i'm still here selling purity after four years that's why they always come back to me everyone buys their water from you lannery asked everyone that matters max Hoggins said his face dropped abruptly but that's enough about water follow me He turned and pushed his way through curtains at the back of his stall, and Lannery and Tree had to climb over the tables to follow. He led them across the busy square toward a doorway in one corner. At first she thought he was taking them down into one of his opulent rooms again, but then she heard the sounds of revelry and smelled spilled drink and spiced food. When Max Hogan entered the tavern, only a few inquisitive eyes turned their way. Most lingered more on Lannery than the water cellar, and she kept the hood of her robe raised. She could never shake the feeling that her Jedi heritage was easy to see. In the corner, round table, Max Hogan said. I'll bring drinks. We're not thirsty, Lannery said, but I am. He shoved his way toward the bar and Lannery scanned the tavern. It was filled with workers, their jobs sometimes apparent, sometimes not. All manner of people, species, creeds. None appeared to be armed. She glanced at Tree, pleased that he concealed his blaster well. By the time she'd examined the corner booth to make sure it appeared safe, Max Hagen was with them again. He must have had his bodyguards. But Lannery was slightly disturbed that she could not make them out in the crowd. Did you find him? She asked. Your brother? Yes. He took a huge drink from an opaque glass. Where is he? Still on Knox? No, Max Hagen said. Lannery's spirits slumped, but she kept her eyes on Max Hagen. Inside, he was laughing, playing with her. He's not on, Knox. He's aside from it, in a place that in diplomatic terms is not here at all. Explain, she said. You're young for a ranger, aren't you? He sat back on the bench and relaxed, resting his hands on his ample stomach. It was the fact that he made his smile touch his eyes that troubled Lannery the most. Not particularly. And what has my age got to do with anything? Young Jedi often don't know as much as old older to die they're not told as much secrets have a way of being passed down i should know i deal in secrets Lannery drank, taking the opportunity to look around the noisy, smoky tavern. She didn't like Max Hagen using the word Jedi so much, but no one seemed to be listening. Her forced senses alert. The irony that both men she sat with were shielded from her was obvious. Your brother is visiting a place that still sometimes carries out commissions for your people. It's called Pan Deep. It's in the base of the central tower, in its roots, its oldest foundations. Close enough to the surface to benefit from Greenwood Station's life support systems and infrastructure, but deep enough to survive when the Jedi bombed us during the war. Closed off enough to be... uh, somewhere else. I've never heard of... Lannery began. Of course not. It's a secret. But don't you wonder why Greenwood Station only suffered a flesh wound? The domes around were reduced to nothing. The people fried or crushed or blasted. But here... He raised a hand as if indicating the ruptured dome, repaired now, where a Jedi attack had scooped out a small portion Of the city so how do i get there what does this place do she asked but she already knew dale was having his device built there a sense of urgency took her and she calmed her excitement high-end tech stuff max hagen said very high military sometimes beyond really advanced science that i can't even be bothered to try to understand he smoothed a hand back over his bald head and past his ear smiling softly i've used the place myself on occasion i have an interest in it and even more of an interest in those who would use it he's there now lannery asked with his stargazers? he landed two days ago and his ship is still in the spaceport outside the city but i don't know how many people landed with him Tell us how to get into Pandeep, Lannery said. You're that desperate to speak with your brother, Lannery? And Tree, you're that eager to help? Yes and yes, Tree said, answering for both of them. Max Hogan glanced aside, and for the first time, Lannery saw movement across the tavern that sparked her senses. Two human men, short but strong, and neither seemed to be paying their drinks any attention. They stared down at the table where they sat, concentrating, listening. The glint of metal in their ears. Lannery leaned across the table, pleased to see Max Hagen pull back. "'You know who and what I am,' she said. "'You might mock my youth, but you're an older man who's survived all these years doing what you do. "'That's because you're wise. You court safety. "'So you'll know not to mess with a Jedi, Max Hagen. "'We've paid you for information which is gratefully received. "'So now we'll be on our way.' Max Hagen's smile remained on his lips, but faded from his eyes. "'Are you threatening me?' Yes with the three of them frozen that way Lannery ranged her senses out across the tavern the two men staring at the table a wookie at the bar a zabrak just outside the door a triple-barreled blaster concealed in her backpack but within easy reach three nogri laughing uproariously in another corner blades tied to their legs claws equipped with artificial poison sacks all Max Hoggins' people all watching her if things went wrong it would be a bloodbath and Lannery did not have time to be killing Nice doing business with you, Max Hagen said, grinning. He pushed a small memory pod across the table, holding out his hand, palm up. Lannery swept up the pod, and against all her instincts, she shook his hand. Good luck. I don't rely on luck, Lannery said. She left the tavern without looking back, sensing tree behind her all the way. Eyes followed them out. They passed the Zabrak waiting outside, and Lannery nodded at her. He could have told us more, Tree said as they walked back across the square. You're not expecting there to be much on that pod, are you? There was plenty he wasn't telling us, Lannery said. But the place will be easy to find, trust me. As she walked, making sure they weren't followed, she slipped the pod into her wrist computer and accessed the Peacemaker's main computer. She instructed it to read the pod, carefully and with full protective protocol in case Max Hagen had tried to pass on a parasite, and search for construction plans of Greenwood Station come on no time to waste she imagined her parents faces were she to tell them that Dale was still alive and she remembered their expressions the one time she had gone home since becoming a Ranger as if they had lost her as well Lannery could not breathe a word of this to her mother and father until it was over and even then she would only tell them if everything ended well if she had to kill Dale that secret would follow her to the
0: grave
1: The ship located the newest construction plans it could find for Greenwood Station's central core and transmitted them to Lannery's wrist unit. As the midnight sirens sounded across the dome, Lannery and Tree entered an abandoned warehouse in District 4. They were very close to the central column here, and looking up, Lannery could see the countless lights belonging to those who lived there. So many up there profited from what lay below, but that was always the case. The ruling classes always set themselves higher. From the plans, Lannery could see that the subterranean Greenwood station was not a quiet place. The foundations of the newer city were made from old, tumbled buildings of the past. There were artificial structures deep underground. Their uses not always obvious. There were also transport routes, massive tunnels carved into the city's substructure, along which the largest of its products were transported to its spaceport ready for export. Along with life support systems, water reservoirs, waste management plants, power centers, and storage facilities, the city was almost as expansive below ground as it was above. But the place she sought, Pan Deep, was not actually that far below the rest of Greenwood Station. What set it apart was that it was built within the central tower's deep foundations. It took some time to negotiate their way through the first subterranean level toward the tower. Lannery sought to keep their movements covert. She was already uncomfortable that Max Hagen knew their destination, and certain that he had withheld information from them. But she'd grown weary of his games. She was sure he was a consummate liar, but she had to assume he was telling the truth about Dale and Pam deep it certainly fit what she knew her brother was attempting, and that was something that, she hoped, Max Hagen could not know. The descent from the warehouse was down an old, rarely used spiral staircase, their feet clanging on metal treads, glow rods making shadows dance. Lannery recalled all her training at Kigong Kesh, craving the peace of that silent desert as she cast her senses out and around them. She smelled for danger, listened for held breaths, searched the deep shadows with force-enhanced sight, and if her mind touched one other mind intent on violence, she would know. After a while, they reached a long, winding tunnel that led toward the tower. She flicked on her glow rod. Just as she judged that they were beneath the central core of the tower, the tunnel opened out into an excavated cavern, a massive place with a floor sloping in from all sides toward a sinkhole in the middle. Oh, Tree said. Oh! He pressed a hand over his nose in disgust, and Lannery could only agree. They'd been smelling the rank tang of sewage for a while, but actually seeing this place seemed to make everything so much worse. The effluent of the whole tower flowed here. Perhaps 10,000 people of a dozen species, all venting their waste into toilets and disposal units and dwellings and offices, taverns and restaurants. Rainwater already stinking with pollutants was used to flush, and now they could see the resultant rain of shack showering down from the high ceiling. Countless pipes and gullies led here, their stinking contents falling in blessed darkness to splash onto the floor. And the floor was moving, a thick stew of repulsiveness flowing slowly down the slope toward the large hole in the cavern's center. From there, Lannery guessed it fell into an underground lake or a deep fault in the planet's crust thousands of years of a city's refuse rotting in the darkness. You bring me to the nicest places, Tree said. Lannery didn't reply, because that would have meant opening her mouth. She consulted her wrist computer one more time, then switched it off. The plans were of no use to them now. Pandeep was somewhere not shown on the schematics, and she thought she knew how to find it. Tapping Tree's shoulder, she pointed around the perimeter of the massive cavern with the glow rod. You wanna walk around there? he asked. Lannery nodded and moved on. She had already seen the overhang at the left, the space beneath protected from anything falling from above. It led to the entrance of a corridor hidden behind a projection in the wall, and once inside, the floor immediately sloped upward. She paused. Tree almost walked into her. What? He asked. This is a hidden place, not on the plans. Might not be the right place, but I'll soon know. Give me a moment. She tried to relax, closing her eyes and breathing deeply letting the Force flow. In moments, the stink was gone, her senses cleansed and purified by the Force, ready for what she sought. What are you looking for? Tree asked. Energy source. She cast her senses outward. It was a dark place, heavy with the weight of Greenwood Station's Central Tower above, and the many people who lived there. The air itself seemed to carry a taint of wrongness. Perhaps it was because of the city's military manufacturing, but she thought it more like a trace from the minds of those who worked and lived there. She had seen many people, and all of them seemed to be constantly moving, or talking, or eating and drinking. Few stood still for a moment simply to muse upon their lives. Perhaps to do so would be to admit the awful truth of their existence. Lannery shivered. Knox was long known to be a planet out of balance, and here more than anywhere. She delved beyond that shadowy trace and searched for power. In the tower above there were countless sources, but down here there were only a few weak old generators winding down. And then she encountered a dark void of heavy shielding. She probed deeper, pushing hard, and her force senses forged through. Bright light, heavy potential, staggering power. This way, she said, we're going up again, but not too far more corridors and every step took them farther away from the stink they'd been moving for some time and lannery was hungry and thirsty but she was also excited the last time she'd been this close to dale had been on that dreadful painful morning at anil here she said the tunnel they were moving along had rough walls and an uneven floor but up ahead she could see a steady glow and nearby the gutter thoughts of a violent man she flipped off her glow rod darkness fell, but it was not complete. She grabbed Tree's arm and pulled him close, breathing against his ear. Guards. Drawing her sword, she moved forward. Tree came behind her, blaster in hand. Her heart beat fast. She touched the guard's mind again, wincing back from his thoughts of violence, and only at the last instant did she realize her mistake. His thoughts had been a scream, a ploy, and as the blaster fire erupted, she touched his real mind and the visions of starlit triumph that burned within. Lannery flowed, and the force flowed through her. Movement and reality slowed, yet she moved with it. Her perceptions and reactions enhanced. She swept her sword around and deflected two laser blasts and advanced quickly. The man crouched behind a column attached to the tunnel's side. He wore a loose robe, similar to those of the Daibendu monks, but any semblance of holiness was wrecked by the weapon in his hand and the fury she sensed in him. A shot came from behind her and impacted the wall far along the tunnel, smashing rock into dust and blasting a flash of fire along its length. In that light, Lannery saw more figures rushing their way. Time was short. I won't lose him again, she thought, and in three leaps, swords sweeping aside, laser blasts meant for her chest. She was on the man. She saw a moment of fear in his eyes, and then she parted his head from his shoulders, crouching and facing the approaching stargazers, even as she felt blood splash across her neck. The tree scurried along the tunnel and pressed himself to the wall opposite her, aiming and firing his blaster along its length a grunt, the sound of an impact, and then a woman started screaming. Wait here, Lanry said. But... She did not pause to answer his rebuttal, instead running forward with her bloodied sword raised before her. She force-shoved ahead and heard three voices cry out as their owners were flung back. A blast sizzled past her ear, and she smelled burned hair, scorched clothing. That was good. The Force gives you power, and power breeds confidence, Master Kinade had told her at Staff Kesh confidence can be your enemy. Lannery was never one to forget her mortality. A tree fired past her, keeping their attackers' heads down as she closed the distance between them. Don't discount the injured one on the ground, she thought. And then she was among them, slashing left and opening a nobry woman from throat to sternum, ducking and rolling, standing, thrusting to her right and catching a man beneath the arm. He cried out and stumbled sideways, her sword jammed between his ribs. He fell. As she was pulled forward, he turned, tearing blade through more flesh, bones cracking to pour his blaster at her face. Lannery clenched her left hand and aimed a force punch, sending the blaster spinning away. Two of the man's fingers were still clasped around the grip. He slumped away from her, dying, and she stood on his hip to withdraw her sword. A blast from behind her and a brief, gurgled cry, she spun around. The injured woman was slumped against the stone wall, her throat and lower jaw an open wound, raw edges still sizzling from the laser blast that had killed her. Ten paces along the corridor, Tree lowered his weapon. She was almost on you. Lannery nodded her thanks. I was too close. Clumsy, she thought. But now was not the time to analyze her mistake. So now they know we're here, Tree said. I think they've known for a while. Come on. They trotted along the tunnel, Lannery casting her senses forward and around them. The flurry of terrible violence had set her heart pounding and blood rushing, and her pulse filled her ears. She knew control, and carried the talents to calm herself, but she also knew that the heightened awareness of the fight could be her friend. The Force complimented her. She was her own greatest weapon. They ducked through a doorway, climbed a flight of stairs, and suddenly the stone wall disappeared, and a metal corridor began. She probed ahead, but her vision was clouded now. Her Force senses blurred. Hand deep might sometimes serve the Jedi, if Max Hagen was to be believed, but it also strove to protect itself from them. She ran on. To slow down now, to take stock, would be to lose whatever advantage they still possessed. The fighting would have been heard, and perhaps Dale and his remaining stargazers would not have expected her to win through so quickly. The confusion of combat would work to her advantage. Through another doorway, and then there was a room. Behind her tree gasped. The room was large. Its walls were smooth, their lines clean. The ceiling and floor were white, like nothing they had previously seen on Knox. It resembled more the interior of a luxury spacecraft than a subterranean manufacturing base. At its center stood a wide table, upon which rested an object swathed in a loose white sheet. Scattered across the table were instruments and components, and around the room were several wheeled cabinets, home to more tools, parts, and obscure technology. It was more like an operating theater than a laboratory. Huddled in one corner were six cell cats dressed in plain white lab coats, all of them terrified. And standing beside the table, Dale. Lannery, he said. His surprise was evident in his eyes and the way he threw up his hands. And as he grinned, she was a teenager again, seeing her brother and reveling in his presence. A flush of emotion swept through her. Pleasure and sadness, loss and love. He came forward as if delighted at her being there. And for a moment, Lannery was consumed by memory. And that was the only moment her lost brother required. Tree screamed and something struck Lannery's head. As she saw the floor rising to meet her,
0: darkness swallowed her. So Lannery and Tree meet up with Max Hodges to obtain the information that they pay for. Max says Tree's name a little bit too loud inside the cantina and it makes Tree nervous. It also shows how well known the tree might be in this universe. Max also makes Lannery feel uncomfortable by saying Jedi too much. Max tells Lannery that he has found her brother, but he says it in a riddle type of way. He tells her that Dale is not on Nox, but he's somewhere outside of Nox or something like that. He continues by questioning Lannery's age. He tells Lannery that if she was an older Jedi, that she would know the Jedi secrets and she would know where Dale is at because it is a place that the Jedi use quite often. This causes Lannery to become angry and she threatens Max. Now this is another time that shows the difference between the Jedi of this time and our time. The Jedi of our time do not threaten people. The Jedi of our time are selfless and they do not get angry because anger is a path to the dark side. But Lannery has no problem threatening someone when she becomes angry. Max gives them the chip with Dale's location on it. So they leave the tavern and go to find him. They head underground to where Dale is at as Lannery and Tree get closer to the location. Location, Landry uses the force to detect the guard, but Landry underestimates her brother because the guard changes his thought and lures Landry into a trap. Okay, more of a mask. She kills a whole bunch of people, but at the same time alerting her brother that she has arrived. As she enters the room that her brother is in, Dale greets her like a brother would greet a sister, and she lets down her guard just long enough to allow someone to hit her from behind and she gets knocked out cold. Dale is so messed up, using his sister's love as a weapon. He really doesn't give a crap about his sister anymore. But that's all that there is for this chapter. That's where he leaves us at. To find out what happens to Landry and Tree, you'll have to tune in next time.